Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 150 of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, been here since day one, Scott Haskin, and I have a wonderful, amazing guest to bring you guys today. I had such a great time talking to her. First time we had met, uh, we're going to talk about the book that she's got coming out and some of the other stuff she's done. Absolutely just amazing, dynamic lady. Um, I could have talked to her for easily a couple more hours, I'm sure, and, but I'm very grateful for the time that I got to have with her. Before we get to the interview, though, I just kind of want to reflect for a minute because we're halfway there, guys. We are halfway to the finish line. I said from the beginning I had planned on doing 300 episodes, and that's mainly because that is the number of episodes that iTunes will house before it starts dropping off episodes. So uh, per uh, artist account, you get 300, and then they stop caring. Uh, they only care about new stuff after that. And I've always said from the beginning, if somebody takes the time to come on my show, that interview deserves to be out there and people should be able to have access to it. Now, I do have links to every single episode of both this show and my other show, Uriah Heap, The Magician's Podcast, on my website. Those will continue to be there. But, uh, you know, the number one place that people listen to podcasts is iTunes and Apple Podcasts. So it doesn't seem right to me to have that avenue closed off to people who have been kind and taken the time to be on my show regardless of if they just came to chat about something or if they're promoting a, a project that, you know, art never dies. It's always going to be there. So even if you're listening five years after the project came out that they worked on, uh, certainly it's it's still out there for consumption. You can go and enjoy it. So it's very important to me to maintain that level of commitment that I've given to all of my guests and keep those interviews available to, uh, you know, to anyone who wants to listen to them. And like I said, you know, I do have all the episodes available on my website as well. If you just go to scotthaskin.com and then you can click on podcast or you can click on Uriah Heap podcast and you'll be taken to each of those podcasts and then links to all of the episodes are within that region. It's easier with Uriah Heap because everything's based on album, right? So each album is a season. So I've got a link to each album. And then with, within that link to the album, I've got all the individual episodes in those shows. With this show, it's a little bit different. I kind of do it by year because there's really no other organization. A season wouldn't mean any more than a year because the guests are just whoever I happen to have on, or if I'm doing review shows or whatever. So, um, yeah. So I just want to take a moment and say thank you guys for listening. It's been a long haul. This has been about two and a half years I've been at this and uh, got got a little ways to go yet. So we're, we're halfway over the hump and uh, now sliding back to the equator. And um, I've really enjoyed it. It's uh, it's had its ups and downs. That's for sure. I've learned a lot, um, lost a lot of friends along the way, a lot more than I would have expected to for just asking them to come on the show as a guest. But that's how some people are. And other people have been very, very gracious and, and been on the show and, you know, stayed in touch with me and all that. So uh, every guest that's been on the show, I have I thoroughly enjoyed. And I thank everyone um, who has taken the time to come on. It's just been amazing. We've got a lot of great stuff coming up. Um, the show has turned to really more of a review format. If you might notice in your player, there is a second episode this week because of the timing of it all. I actually thought that my 150th episode is going to be my 151st just because of the timing of when everything showed up. But I have a, a great review coming on the next show of Blackmore's Nights. Blackmore's Nights. That's hard to say. Blackmore's Nights new album, Nature's Light. It just arrived in the mail 
And so I want to get uh, that review out as soon as possible. They're out doing the uh, the tour, the press tour circuit. And uh, I have not watched a single video. I have not listened to a single note of a song because I want all of my actions or reactions to be um, fresh and honest. And here's exactly what I feel in this moment upon the first hearing of these songs. So uh, it should be a lot of fun. So check that episode out if you like. And in the meantime, uh, you know what? It is just time to get to my guest. I'm so excited to bring you guys this conversation I had with the lovely Martha Bolton. She, I had no idea how much of her work that I knew just by way of listening to the people that she wrote for. And we're going to get into all of that right after this. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and today I am not alone. I am joined by someone who is absolutely fantastic, who has probably affected your life in ways that you don't even know about. But you know what? You're going to find out because she is here to tell us about her new book that she is working on. Let's welcome to the show, Martha Bolton. Martha, how are you today? I'm doing good. I am doing very good. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for coming on the show. I am so excited to get to know about you and your new book. Let's see if I can get through it as well as I did a moment ago. This is uh, the book is called Dear Bob, Bob Hope's Wartime Correspondence with the GIs of World War II. You did it. Yes, <laughs> I win. Now, how would you know anything about Bob Hope? Well, I was a staff writer for Bob uh, for 15 years. I was his first woman staff writer and had a lot of fun uh, writing the shows and, and working with a team of writers. And uh, we just had a we had a great time. And and he was a wonderful boss. Never said an unkind word to me in 15 years. So wow. that's that's pretty good. That's a pretty good record. You know, it's interesting because we get these impressions of people that, um, you know, we see on the screen or, or come through and do tours like Bob did. And we get a certain impression of who we think they are as people, who we would like to believe they are as people. But to hear that he actually was that kind, that really warms my heart a lot because it wasn't just a, a persona. Not at all. Uh, he was the same person that when he walked out of his dressing room and walked onto the stage, that was the same person going. And when he walked off the stage and went back to his dressing room, it was the same person. Uh, he just he didn't get caught up in all of the. Uh, you know, show business stuff. He was just a, a everyday guy that just had a, you know, lived a, obviously a, a very full and productive life, put all of his talent to work, but um, never forgot where he came from, uh, was never felt like he was better than anybody else. Uh, uh, and, and even at his parties that, uh, that he'd, you know, have, um, he'd invite everybody. It wasn't just, just the stars. It wasn't just the A-list. It wasn't just presidents, but they were there. Uh, but it, you know, he'd have, he'd invite his gardener and his family. He'd invite his, uh, you know, just his staff and he'd invite whoever he, you know, fans. He, he just, he was just a warm, welcoming, wonderful human being. I love people that can't see the separation of, of what is, what I guess you would call classes of people. You know, you've got your elite, you've got your political elite, you've got your entertainment elite, and then you've got the servants. Um, I love that there's people, especially someone of his position, that didn't see there being a, a division between that. That's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, he he didn't. And and even his Christmas cards, uh, 
he would he any just about anybody he met he would put them on his christmas list and they'd be uh, they'd receive christmas cards from him especially the gis mm-hmm. he uh, he would send the gis that he had met christmas cards and and they wrote back in the letters you know some of the letters uh where they said you know well the first year i got a christmas card from you because you had just been here and we met but then the second year and the third year you know right it, it just that was just him well, I think the amazing thing, too, is how many of those cards actually reached the soldiers, because that was a pre- pretty chaotic time. And I would imagine a lot of mail did not get where it was going. Uh, no, it didn't. And uh, and and even when it did, it took not just weeks, but months and sometimes longer uh, that, uh, you know, it could have been a year or two before it, just following them around wherever they were at. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know. They were thrilled when they got it, but boy, it was a different time. You couldn't, it wasn't instant. You couldn't pick up the phone and, and be talking to your family or uh, a Zoom call or uh, anything else. It just, it was that mail call, um, waiting for your name to be called. Uh, no silence like that silence. Oh, you know? yeah. And the disappointment. For a letter. Uh, yeah. I can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned that you were Bob's first female staff writer. Uh, interestingly, and this just happened to work out this way. I did not plan this. Uh, this is episode 150 of the show. On episode 50, I had Dev Ross on, who was the first female staff writer at Disney. So that oh, just kind wow. of worked out nicely. Yeah, it did. Huh. Uh, now, you also wrote for Phyllis Diller. I did. I did. <laughs> How did you find it to, was it challenging to kind of switch gears and write jokes for, you know, each one of them? Well, you had to uh, train yourself to get into their voice before you, before you were writing for them. Uh, you couldn't just go from Bob Hope. It wasn't, it wasn't that you just sat down and wrote jokes. Mm-hmm. You sat down and wrote Bob Hope jokes and you sat down and wrote Phyllis jokes and anybody else that you were writing for. You had to get their voice in your head. And then as you're writing, you had to self-edit. If it, if a joke came, but it wasn't a Bob Hope joke, then you didn't write it down or you or you wrote it down for whoever it sounded like. And you put that on a piece of paper someplace else. Mm-hmm. But you have to get their voice. Um, otherwise when they're reading it, they're going to say, this doesn't sound like me and they're not going to like any of the material. So it has to sound like their voice. Um, and, uh, then there's all sorts to, you know, um, when you're crafting the joke, you don't want too many words or not enough words to where it's not clear, you know, too many makes it too long and a long setup. Um, well, you better have a good punchline, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, you gotta, you gotta have a payoff there Yeah. Um, to be yeah. a little bit more literal than what you mean. Would you actually hear their voice telling the joke as you wrote it? Yeah. Yeah. In, in my head, I would hear his voice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and Phyllis in my head, I would hear her voice. Um, so you, and that comes from studying their, uh, act and watching them on stage and watching them on TV and listening to them on, you know, radio shows. And it's a lot of research and, and just getting that. It's almost like uh, a lyrical with uh, music. It, it's getting that in your ear and, and you know, when it's the right note and when it's not. 
I would think that would be such a difficult job. I mean, aside from the pressures of writing for those two particular people who were huge at that time, I mean, top of the entertainment industry, just to sit there and constantly come up with those zingers, that had to be challenging. Did you did you have points where you're like, I got nothing in the tank today? <laughs> well, you did, but you if you're on a deadline, that that motivates you real fast. But um, yeah, I. I remember when I first started writing for Bob, uh, the, I would look at the piece of paper and it was blank and, and I would just stare at it waiting, knowing that I had to turn it in at five o'clock by five o'clock in the afternoon, say, um, and, and it's nine o'clock in the morning and I'm just sweating it because you got to fill up that paper and several more. Um, and, then after a while you get in and you, you, you know, your comedy muscles grow. And uh, then it became when I would get an assignment, I, you know, say it's nine o'clock in the morning and it's due at five. I'd go, well, it's not due till five. So I could go shopping. And, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, you just build up a confidence that, you know, you can do it uh, whenever you sit down to do it. it you just know you're going to do it. So, um, that 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 comes with just the growth in the in the uh, career and uh, and in the confidence that you know that it's come you know it always comes and um, you know you don't have to stress over it but uh, and and it was fun too it was always fun to see what you could come up with sure. on a certain a certain topic and we'd usually have oh fifteen topics 20 topics for a show sometimes more uh and then we'd we would write 10 15 20 jokes per topic right. so that's a lot of material that we're turning in uh usually over a weekend um and then we were gonna you know tape the show uh when he would do the show uh there was one show that we did there was seven of us and uh, we turned in over two thousand jokes wow <laughs> for seven of us but uh but what, what what he would do is he, at the uh, tapings, he'd do probably uh, 50 minutes, 45, 50 minutes of monologue, uh, give or take. And and then that would get pared down to what you saw on TV. It'd be, you know, six, six minutes, 10 minutes. Um, but the but the te- but the television audience got uh, just a sliver of what the studio audience would get so oh sure and i i can say as an artist there's probably nothing more intimidating than a blank canvas and the pressure of having to put something on it but i kind of feel in a way and i wonder if you do too that there's some sort of adrenal glands just for the creative muscles that when we are on a deadline we somehow just get that endorphin and it we just kick it into a gear and we make it happen uh, absolutely i totally agree and sometimes you know it, that pressure you love because that does push it into high gear and uh and like i said it's it's nice to see what what you'd come up with um in that short period of time or in that pressure moment sure and then you know sometimes he would call he'd call from uh, wherever he was at and he you know something 
he had found out something was at the banquet or something had happened in the town or the world or whatever, and he wanted some lines on it. And he used to, uh, he would just breathe on the other end of the line while he's waiting for <laughs> you to come up with a line. And I, I finally got smart enough to, to say, uh, can you call back in about five minutes? <laughs> and then it just gives you that, that little bit of a break to where you could just concentrate, you know, and, and then the pressure was off a little bit. And it, by five minutes, you had you had uh, some lines for him. But yeah, it was it was pretty uh, pretty intimidating. <laughs> so you said that you would write over, like for example, a weekend. When from the time that you guys would write all those all that material, when would he actually perform it? How many days would that be in between? Well, that would be usually uh, that would be for the television monologue and and that we usually did just before he recorded it uh so it would be a day or two you know it wasn't it wasn't much um and then so we would turn that in now we had usually met at his house before that to have gone over the sketch ideas and then we would have uh, passed that back and forth and that would probably be within the week um and and then we'd uh, he would decide which uh, sketch ideas that he liked. And sometimes he would take an, a writer's entire sketch. And then other times he would take a block of this person's and a block of this person's. And he'd he'd put it all together and he'd do the same with the monologue. He would we'd turn them all in and then he'd pick which jokes and then he'd he'd uh, put that together in the in the uh, uh order that that he felt it it you know seemed right to him there was this one time when i stopped at his house and he had the all of our material uh in his newly remodeled office he was showing me his office that had just uh, dolores had just remodeled it all but all over the carpet he had the material all laid out covering the entire carpet of this huge room of uh, all the one-liners and it, he had the jokes checked off on which ones, and he was putting it all together into an order, and that would be the monologue that we were getting ready to do. Wow, that's so much to memorize, too, in such a short time, especially with you know probably last-minute change-outs and things based on political or maybe whatever was happening in that moment. Well, if it was a show, he would memorize it. He had, a, he had almost a photographic memory. Uh, for television, he would use the cue cards, but it wasn't. It, you know, it wasn't that he couldn't memorize it, but it, it, they were available. So why not? And we would make changes. And then uh, Barney McNulty uh, would, uh, you know, get it to the cue cards uh, and get get it all ready. But back in World War Two, which it, which I found amazing is they didn't have cue cards back then. Really? And he would no, uh-uh. And he would get up. And he would do his entire show and, and he had his writer, you know, and his team of writers that would turn in material and he would, it would be brand new. So it's not like an act that he, that he continually did. So he would take the new material, walk right onto stage with no script in his hand, nothing, no cue cards, nothing. He would get out there and he would do his, the entire show. it's mind-boggling when you look at those old clips on you could see them on youtube and in different places but when you look at that you 
you got to tell yourself he had nothing and he had just been given those jokes and walked out there and did them. Talk about somebody who is born to be an entertainer. Oh, I know. I know. And I watched him do that on, on shows, you know, even in, uh, you know, when I was with him, as far as we'd turn in the material and he'd hang up and walk right onto the stage. And, or if we were at the studio, just hand him the jokes and, you know, cause something had happened in the news and he wanted some, you know, put, to put in some new jokes mm-hmm. about that. And he'd walk right on stage and just deliver five, six, seven of them right in a row. Wow. Just, just had been handed them. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. I want to yeah. I want to talk a little bit about you before we get into the book, though, too, because you yourself, uh, beyond the work that you did with Bob and Phyllis, you have gone on to do amazing things yourself. How many books have you published? <laughs> uh, 88. I yeah. think this is my 89th. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, that's a, that's quite a career that you've had. Yeah, it it uh, I I started doing one a year and then some years I did two and then I think there was a few that I did three. So it adds up over time before you know it, you turn around and you go, man, what number am I on now? <laughs> right. But are you with that that kind of a catalog? Are you able to still look back on any book you could pick off of yourself and go, I remember this? And, I, you know, does it make you smile or did a few of them because you were doing them so fast feel like? Yeah, I just knocked this one out because I had to get that done. No, they all they all have something that that made me, you know, I was happy I did them and and uh, but there's some that that I really enjoyed doing and I remember uh, being on deadline and and how that how different things happened that you know forced me to get it done and and you know different stories that go with each one. You you have your uh, uh, funny stories that happen. <laughs> Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah. But and then, you know, you never forget the day it comes out and it's all exciting and you see it and it's, uh, you know, your work uh, in a brand new book. So it's it's always exciting. Yeah. Well, congratulations on on all of that. That is to me, that is just such an amazing accomplishment. And I, I definitely can appreciate the work and dedication it must have taken to get to the point that you're at now. That's really quite incredible. Well, thank you. I um I just kept steady, steadily moving along, you know, from one thing to the next. And I, and you got to get it done. <laughs> well, that's, that's the thing. That's yeah. The, it, that's the key. Yeah. But I think in a way it's good to have those kind of deadlines because if not, it's too easy for us as creatives to overthink what we're doing to over edit right. ourselves and end up ruining what could have been a great project. Right. Right. And it forces you to do because you want to do your best, but it forces you to do your best in in a timely manner <laughs> yes yeah absolutely. and you have to get it done yeah mm-hmm. well i want to talk to you about dear bob bob hope's wartime correspondence with the gis of world war ii i just wanted to see if i could do that again you did <laughs> <laughs> and you you co-wrote this with linda hope who's bob's uh, eldest daughter what was that process like well we actually started writing the book when bob was alive and i had found out um about the letters she grew up with them and and always wondered what they were and ended up uh, writing a a high school paper about the letters and when i found out about him uh was working on the shows and and had uh had to do some work on that and i thought man these would make a beautiful book because i was so blown away at 
what these letters represented and what they were and what they said and the back and forth between Bob and the GIs and the funny letters, the the uh, historical letters, the uh, the letters that just pull at your heart, and, uh, just choke you up. So I, I talked with Bob about it and, uh, and he, he knew, you know, that, uh, that how special they were to him and, and, and what they would mean to the world. And, and so he told me to talk to Linda and, uh, who was his producer at the time. And, uh, so we talked and, and, uh, you know, started laying it out and, um, started working on it and what happens, you know, in Hollywood, you you know, you're working on this project and then you've got this one and then this one and this, you know, we had, a, he had all his shows and all his personal appearances that you're still, you're still doing well. And then, uh, so you you know, years would pass and, and then unfortunately, uh, he, he passed away. And, uh, so I don't, I never forgotten about it. I always, you know, just because we had done a lot of work on it and, and had gotten pretty far down the line. Um, but I didn't know, you know, where it stood and, and uh, but it, it stayed in Linda's heart as well. And, 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 and definitely in my heart too. And so a few years ago, uh, she contacted me uh, through email and said, uh, would you like to get back on that book and, and uh, let's do, you know, finish it up. And I couldn't believe it. I was so excited. And so we started working on it. By now, though, uh, the letters, they were at his house, and that's where we worked on it out there. But now they had been given to the Library of Congress. So I had to go up there, and uh, so I finished going through the letters at the Library of Congress and uh, finishing up the book. And then I would send it back, uh, the manuscript, to Linda, and, and she'd make suggestions, and we'd go back and forth. And uh, it was gonna. We were hoping it'd come out last year, but it ended up coming out this year. But after what everybody went through last year, I think now is the perfect time for it to come out because we could all use hope. And uh, Bob was always known for his timing, so I think he's still doing it. This this is a uh, the the letters just remind us of how much we need each other, and uh, it just. I think it's perfect time for it to come out. I would agree. And uh, I know a lot of books are being delayed just because of the fact that the uh, the presses were closed for so long. And now that they're finally able to get back in there, they have a huge backlog of books. So I'm really glad this this made it to print. But it, I think you're right. The Right now is a time where people are in just such, you know, despair and darkness, especially over, you know, the way that we've had to live for the last year. And I think a lot of people feel emotionally isolated as well. So to have these letters come in that are so inspiring, so heartfelt, I mean, mm. these are people that were writing that could die and they could die while they're writing the letter and they knew that, oh, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah. So they're really letting their heart out in these letters. And they're just the ones that I've seen are just so touching. And it, it really I'm like, this book is going to be hard to get through without welling up by page three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, you know, but there are funny ones. There, there, there are funny ones. But boy, the, the, um, the sacrifice, the selflessness that comes across, and the gratitude. Oh, the the book is just full. Of, if you want to feel good, 
you read these letters uh, between Bob and the GIs and man, um, you know, it, 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 even when you cry, it's a good cry. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, man. Was it hard for you and Linda to get through some of that just for that reason? Oh, yeah. I still, I've read them and reread them and reread them. And I, there's some that every time I read it, it, it just chokes me up. I, um, and then it, you know, the hardest part was picking because he had, at the height of World War II, Bob Hope was receiving 38,000 fan letters a week. Wow. That's, that's insane. Yeah. And, and every, you know, trying to pick which ones do you pick, you know? Right. So, uh, I wanted to have a, a good variety of different, cause the, the layout of the book, it's not in chronological order, but it's in emotional order. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm missing my mom. I'm missing, you know, I, uh, uh, I didn't sign up for this. It's their complaints. It's, you know, so it's, <laughs> it's that kind of, uh, that kind of, uh, divisions. So, um, I wanted letters that reflected and fell into those categories and, uh, and, I'm just, I'm just so happy that my only regret is that uh, I wish he was here to see it. I think he'd, uh, he'd be very pleased. I would, I would hope. At least he knew that you were doing it, though. That's oh, got to yes. make you smile. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. We had his blessing. What is the status of the book at this point? Well, uh, it released on March fifteenth. And CBS did a did a nice piece on it on uh, CBS Sunday morning, and within uh, less than forty minutes after the CBS piece ran, Amazon um, ran out of their inventory for the book, <laughs> and Excellent. then yeah, and then and then the publishing house ran out uh, within forty eight hours, so they're all you know printing more which is which is great but yeah it's uh people love bob hope so well how can you not i mean yeah you know not only was he somebody that entertained people but he made such an impact on people that needed it not just the soldiers but the families that had their soldiers over overseas i, I mean so many people he, he touched their hearts and how can you just not love that alone well, and he was their connection to home. You know, he brought he brought home to the to the to the soldiers, and uh, and then when he came home, he brought word uh, from the battlefields of of the conditions for the families. In fact, some of the soldiers would hand him their mom's phone number and ask him to call her when he got home, oh. and he would he would come home from a grueling you know, his grueling journey and, and then sit on the phone and, and call these moms and tell them that he had seen their son or daughter over there and, um, or their husband or their wife. It's, it was incredible. His, his, uh, definition of service went so beyond the normal idea of service i mean he took everything he did really his even in his career uh he just took it to to the next level he took it all the way to as far as he could yeah and when he volunteered to to uh entertain the troops he he was doing it for world war ii but as we all know he did it 
all the wars in yeah. his lifetime, mm-hmm. all the way to the end. His last military show, he was 87 years old, and he's crawling in and out of helicopters, and he's going out to the front lines and, and, and near the front lines and, you know, dodging incoming it, it's you know during the show he had some close calls and 87 years old yeah when he could be cruising down to rio you know right well and and you know to put it in perspective too when we think about this in in our time now thinking about well you know going overseas and doing a tour with the soldiers and that travel was not anything like it is now it was much more grueling and uncomfortable and then he's there he's putting himself at risk to even go visit these soldiers and then put on a show for them. I mean, the the real depth of it is something that it's really hard to uh, to fathom because we tend to think of things in modern terms. Exactly, and and uh, you're you're absolutely right. The the uh, the risk of the air, you know, the air travel, uh, the risk of the bombing when he's doing the show, and he was a target. Oh yeah, because he was known. For for being the morale booster for the troops. So he, he was a target. And then he even had a, a airplane crash uh, in Australia that uh, landed in the river like uh, Sully. Oh, wow. <laughs> they had to land the plane in the river. And, and they said that had uh, they ended up coming to rest at a sandbar, but had they hit the sandbar first, uh, the plane would have... Uh, somersaulted and exploded. So, I mean, he, he had the close calls. There oh, was, sure. he, he wasn't dodging uh, any uh, danger. He, he was right in the middle of it. And if the soldiers were there, he wanted to be there wherever it was. And if uh, he would perform for the big crowds, the you know, 38,000 on the side of a hill. And then if he heard of a company that was way off, all by themselves, a uh, hundred. Uh, he'd he'd make sure that they got him over there, and uh, he'd perform on, from the back of a jeep and give them a show. Just Absolutely incredible, amazing. Absolutely, yeah. I love that that there's people out there, and, and I mean, obviously, he had the opportunity to do it, but I love that there's people out there that are given opportunities and just do everything that they can to bring joy to the world because. We need so much of that, and it seems like those kind of people are really rare that that get the opportunity and then take advantage of it. Right, right. And he would visit uh, not only he he would go through the hospitals out on the war zones, but then he would come home and he'd visit the hospitals. He never uh, he wouldn't forget about them in peacetime. Mm-hmm. He would be there in war, but in peacetime, the the injured that were in uh, the VA hospitals, he would. He'd go visit them. He'd make sure that whatever they needed, they got. He would, if either he would provide it himself and donate it, or he would take it through the chain of command and all the way up to the president if he had to, mm-hmm. and um, just made sure that the GIs got what they needed and knew that uh, the country and himself and anybody that he could influence and and the whole country was uh, supporting. What a what role they model. were sacrificing. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. I'm so glad that you got to be a part of it. And I'm really grateful that you took the opportunity to share those experiences with everyone else. I cannot wait to, to see the full book. And I'm so grateful that you guys got together and, and made it happen. Thank you so much. 
Oh, you're welcome. It's my honor and my privilege. Well, I have the link in the show notes for you guys to uh, to go right to the site and you can grab the book. You can also get it on Amazon. I'll see if I can find that link and put it in there as well. I just have to say, Martha, thank you so much for taking time out to come on the show. Thank you for working on this book and getting it out. Inspiration is a big thing that we need right now. And just that emotional support, even if it's not directed at us, to just feel like we were part of that, as we do when we read letters like this, it's an untouchable experience. Absolutely. And we owe so much to that generation, uh, our grandfathers, our great grandfathers, and uh, just they all gave everything they could and and we're indebted to them. Absolutely. Well, thank you for coming on the show. I do hope you'll come back and visit us again. I would love to. Thank you. Well, in the meantime, you take care and good luck with the, the book. I hope they get a bunch more printed up real quick so you can sell out again. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Take care. Wow. Just, she's just done and seen so much. I mean, to get to work with those people that were just the pinnacle of entertainment in their heyday. And, you know, obviously the work that Bob Hope has done has touched so many lives. And I love that they're taking that information and now bringing it out to a much broader group of people to be able to enjoy and appreciate. And there's certainly, you know, you can never uh, overestimate the work that Bob did. Just just amazing people. And I'm so grateful that I got to speak with Martha. I'm grateful you guys hung in there and listened to the interview. I really appreciate it. I hope that you will join me for the next show that comes up, which should be available to you right now, which is my review of Blackmore's Night's new album, Nature's Light. I will see you guys next week. Thank you, Martha, for coming on the show. You guys take care of yourselves and each other. Cheers. Cheers.